Good afternoon, everyone. Um, look, thanks thanks for your time uh, this afternoon. Uh, I, I'm Oscar Oberg, uh, Lead Portfolio Manager of WAM Capital, WAM Active, WAM Research and WAM Microcap. To my left is Tobias Yao, Portfolio Manager. To my right is Sam Kosh, um, Analyst. And uh, unfortunately, Sean Wyke can't join us today. Um, before I begin, I'd like to obviously apologise for uh, not being here a week ago. Um, Unfortunately, we had some bad news. A good friend of ours who was a stockbroker passed away uh, and we found out last Thursday. So it's been a pretty tough day, few days, uh, to say the least, for the team. Um, also, I'd like to have a shout-out for anyone who's been impacted by the floods uh, in New South Wales and Queensland over the last few weeks. As you see in the inbox, we do have a um, uh, donation set up where WAM will match any donations also for Ukraine and Russia, and also, also for the flood. So please donate. Um, now today, in terms of how we'll run uh, today, um, it's going to be a Q&A session. There is no Jeff uh, today. I think all the questions got asked of Jeff uh, last week. So we're here as long as you, as, as you need, need us for, for the next hour or two, uh, to talk about anything in the market, anything related to our stocks in the small cap space, and obviously any, any, any ideas that we have. So in terms of how to run, I'll start off with a, an introduction. I'll then pass on to Tobias, who talk about sectors that we quite like at the moment, and then the three of us will talk about some stock ideas. So I'll give you an introduction in terms of how the financial year to date has played out. Now, it was actually, I think when we last spoke about six months ago, we actually started the year very, very well. Um, we were outperforming uh, the All Ordinaries Index by just over 4% by the end of September. As you would have seen our last update at the end of December, we were slightly outperforming the market. And I think it's fair to say it's been a very, very tough environment for small cap industrials, uh, which is what we invest in within WAM Capital and WAM Microcap, really since uh, mid-September. And this is largely due to a combination of inflation, rising interest rates, Omricon, and of course, what we've seen recently with the Russia-Ukraine uh, conflict. Now, I think it's fair to say the technology sector has been what has, has been in focus over this period, but it's fair to say across all small caps, whether it be growth or value across any sector, we've, it's all been impacted. So it's been a very, very tough environment. Now, to put some numbers around this, what we've seen since um, mid-September is that the small cap industrials index has actually fallen 17%. This is to, to the end of February. And this compares to large cap companies within the All Ordinaries Index, which has fallen 6%. And also the small resources sector, which has, has, has increased 11%. Now, what's been more, this divergence, as I quoted before, was the end of February, it's actually increased more. And we've seen more of a divergence in these numbers over the last uh, few weeks of March. Now, in terms of our performance, now, we've, we've underperformed our benchmark of the All Ordinaries in the first um, few months of this calendar year. However, if we look at the Small Cap Industrials Index, which we feel is, is a better uh, representation of the stocks we invest in, we're actually outperforming by 5%. And we actually had a very, very strong reporting season, although it didn't reflect in the numbers. And to give you some numbers around this as well, out of the 63 companies that reported in WAM Capital, we had 38 companies that actually beat expectations and only eight that missed. What's interesting is that of those 38 companies that beat expectations, only 13 of them saw their share prices higher at the end of February than compared to the beginning. And I think it's fair to say if we had a look at those 13 companies, they'd all be lower now than what they were before, before they were reporting a very strong result. Now, despite the fact the outlook is uncertain, uh, we're actually very positive on the small cap companies that we invest in. Valuations are actually at decade, uh, decade lows when you take out the technology sector. And if you look at um, uh, the United States, the differential in valuation between large cap and, and small cap companies is actually the lowest it's been in the last 23 years. So we do feel there is a strong environment for small cap companies once the market comes back to us and there is a little bit of certainty. And certainly in terms of how we're positioned within the portfolios, and Tobias will talk about this in a bit, we're very much exposed to a reopening of the economy coming out of Omricon. And this is in sectors including retail, uh, travel, and also building materials and construction. Now, if we look at balance sheets, balance sheets are very strong. If we look at WAM Capital, over 60% of the companies that we invest in have cash or property that's higher than the debt they have on the balance sheet. So this gives companies a very good um, ability to, to whether it be conduct capital management in a tough environment 
or also make earnings accretive acquisitions. Now, turning to inflation, and I mean, it's fair to say this has been the buzzword for the last 12 months. We were talking about, I remember, in an April-May conference call, um, well, I think it was actually this conference call this time last year, and we were telling you that we had a very small exposure to the technology sector, and we certainly have over the last 12 months. But as I said earlier, inflation is impacting every single sector in the market. You cannot get away from it. Um, and you know, there's no better example than what we've seen in the last couple of weeks with oil and also the nickel price in the last few days. Now, if we turn to the United States, you know, consensus expectations have pricing quite aggressive interest rate hikes. We're looking at six interest rate hikes this year, and then we go to 2023, consensus is looking for another two or three. Now, it's our belief that the current uncertainty that we're seeing in the Russia and Ukraine, and also the fact that some of the data in the United States is starting to roll over a little bit, whether it be in consumer sentiment, um, that we, we, while we'll definitely see interest rate hikes, we're not sure that we'll see the six interest rate hikes this year. It might be four or five. And if that occurs, we actually think it'll be a good environment for small cap investing again. So look, to conclude before I pass to Tobias, we're very positive on the companies that we have invested in. They have very strong balance sheets. And while they've been hit hard over the last two and a half months, um, we think they're very well positioned, have a very strong valuation. And when the market comes back to us, we'll do very well. But I think it's fair to say the current environment is incredibly uncertain. I think it's, it's, it's an hour to hour, minute to minute proposition. There's something that's happening every day in terms of you know, Russia and Ukraine. You only have to look at last Friday with what was supposed to happen with the nuclear reactor is a good example of that. Um, so our cash levels have increased. So if we look across WAM Capital at the moment, we're sitting around 19% cash. That compared to around 11% cash um, when we were in February in the middle of reporting season. And also where microcap is sitting at around 14% cash. Now, we're happy with where we are at the moment. It's been a very tough environment for small caps. As I said, valuations are very low. But our liquidity across the portfolio and the equities that we own is very high. So as, we, as, we, as, as you saw uh, in March 2020, when we went to cash um, at the worst of COVID, we do have that ability to do, to do that right now. But at the moment, we're very happy with how, we, how, we, how we're positioned. And we, as I said, we're very very confident that when the market comes back our way, we'll do very well. So look, with that, I'll pass over to Tobias Yao to talk about some of the sectors uh, that we're interested in. Thanks, Oscar. Look, it's extraordinary, extraordinary times right now. You know, the best opportunity that we see in the market is for us is actually investing in some of the highest quality companies in the mid to small cap space that's relatively liquid, that's come off with the recent broad-based sell-off. To illustrate that point, and Oscar's touched on this earlier, um, we had over 60% of the portfolio upgrades during the February reporting season, of which more than 50% of those actually saw a negative uh, month. So as a team, we are super excited to be buying these companies at valuations we haven't seen since the depths of COVID. So these are companies like Breville, uh, Credit Corp, IPH, and ARB. I mean, these companies have very strong growth um, thematics, um, both organically and inorganically. They have very strong balance sheets, which helps to helps them navigate the macro uncertainty. And they've all reported really good results um, and provide a positive outlook. In terms of a theme we've talked about historically, which is the reopening theme, um, and just to refresh everyone's memory, the investment thesis there is investing in companies like Art & Leisure, Event Hospitality, uh, Ooh Media, for example, that will come back in a post-COVID environment, the investment thesis there is that these companies have fundamentally recalibrated their business model and their cost base, such, just such that when we come out of COVID, the profit run rate is a lot higher than when they entered into COVID. We are still heavily invested in those names, and we think those uh, the, the two themes I've talked about earlier will yield very strong returns for us over the coming 12 months. So as a team, we are laser-focused on finding stocks, um, there's a lot of opportunities in the market, um, and you know we're really happy to be um, deploying some of that capital um, selectively into key opportunities that we're seeing in the market. I think uh, one other things I wanted to touch on uh, is the uh, pre-IPO opportunities. Um, up until December, look, we've been very active in that space. Um, needless to say, since uh, sorry, up until December, since December, um, everything's really grinded to a halt. In the pre-IPO opportunity space, we found that a lot of um, the opportunities we've seen came through our internal network. Um, and we've been super selective. And I think the flexibility of our strategy allows us 
to not have to deploy that capital into the, some of these um, businesses. In terms of some of the substantial uh, companies we have in the pre-IPO portfolio, Iris Energy, uh, which is a Bitcoin miner listed a few months ago, it's had a very volatile start to its listed life on the NASDAQ. Um, however, we're still up a few times versus our initial capital that we invested. Um, we also have a couple of companies, Expansive, which is a carbon trading platform, and Chrysos, which is a gold analysis business that's looking to list over the next few months, um, depending on the market. And now I'd like to pass it on to Sam Koch, who will talk about his uh, top pick over the next six to 12 months. Thanks, Tobias. Our first high conviction pick is uh, Ridley, ticker RIC. So Ridley is uh, one of Australia's largest animal stock feed processors and producers. The management team there have done, have really systematically improved the business since their appointment in mid-2019. They have decentralised decision-making, cut excess costs out of the business and sold underperforming assets. In turn, that's driven an increase in margins. It's delevered the balance sheet and has actually improved shareholder returns as well. Going forward, the management team have actually identified a number of organic revenue opportunities that will continue to drive revenue growth from here. Despite all these changes to the business, the company is trading at a lower price to earnings multiple than it has ever done in its history. At 12 and a half times versus its historical average of 15 times, we think the catalyst to close that valuation gap is deploying $65 million of excess balance sheet capacity into capital returning projects, um, acquisitions, and or capital management. I'll throw over the next one to, to Bias. Yeah, so my high conviction pick continues to be to us limited. The ticker is TUA. So TUA is a, a disruptive mobile service provider in Singapore, which has around uh, 9 million handsets. Um, the founder for TUA is David Teo, um, the founder of TPG Telecom and a very proven and successful business leader, uh, especially in the telco space. You know, we think to us limited uh, is like TPG Telecom in that it was able to disrupt the incumbents over a very long period of time by offering very attractive um, products, um, data inclusions and mobile plans to their customers. In um, our view is that they can continue to increase their market share in Singapore from 6% to potentially up until 15 to 20% over time. You know, the, you know, David Teo owns over 30% of the company and we like founder-led businesses. And we think the market is underestimating um, both the potential to grow market share and also the operating leverage within the business. So that's my top pick. All right, I'll give you two top picks because uh, Sean's not here. Um, so uh, I think Sean's is going to be. I'll give you Mess Chief Fleet. So if it doesn't if it doesn't work, then it's his fault, not mine. <laughs> um, and anyway, <laughs> SG Fleet uh, ticker is SGF. Um, it's a fleet leasing and novated leasing company. Uh, it's largely been impacted by a lack of new cars coming into Australia. Um, the company acquired its one of its largest competitors, Lease Plan, just uh, I think around 12 months ago. And it's actually over-delivered it on its synergies to date. But this is a typical stock that we own in WAM Capital where it actually upgraded earnings by, I think, th over 30%. And if you have a look at the share price now, it's actually lower than what it was before it actually upgraded earnings. So um, we see tremendous value in this stock. It's got a good balance sheet. It's trading at a price earnings multiple of around eight times. And its nearest competitor, Smart Group, is on 14 times. So we think those valuations will converge over time. Um, and we think the share price is probably worth around $3.50. Um, now, turning to Mars Group, ticker here is MGH, MMGH. So this is a vertically integrated property developing property developer uh, construction um, company with also building materials and quarries. The business is focused in regional Australia, in particular New South Wales and southeast Queensland. Uh, it's a founder-led business, which is, of course, as we've talked about, those are the businesses we do look like a lot over at Wilson Asset Management. And it's the company itself is doing very, very well. There's a huge pipeline of construction um, in regional Australia, whether it be across civil infrastructure, but also in residential. These guys are well-placed. They've strategically bought land um, over the last 10 years that is about to be developed and is about to benefit from the huge amount of population growth that we're seeing in regional Australia. So company confirmed its guidance of 120 to 125 million of earnings. Uh, at the recent result, despite Omicron impacts and also uh, the wet weather that we've seen, um, it's got a very strong run rate as we go into the next financial year. So current share price is around $4.50. Uh, we think that's the valuation for the property that it, uh, Mars Group owns on its balance sheet, which means, again, the operating business for free. So we think this business can double over the next two years. 
Okay, so that's the, the end of the formal presentation as such. Um, I'm going to pass it over to Camilla, who's going to um, read out some of your questions uh, that we'll endeavour to answer. Great. Thanks, Oscar. We've got a lot of questions to get through. The first one is for you. It's from Peter. He's asked how you're positioning the portfolio to deal with the current conflict in Ukraine and what you think the impact on equity markets will be as a result of the conflict. Great question. I think we all haven't slept for um, a number of weeks because of this. Look, as I said earlier, it, it, it's been a, it's an incredibly, incredibly uncertain market. I don't almost argue it's more uncertain than what COVID was, to be fair, because you've got, you know, commodity prices are spiking and um, it's just all it's just all over the place, to be fair. And, and every, like, there's an announcement on something every hour, it feels like, in the market that could throw it up 2 or 3% or down 2 or 3%. So, look, it's very uncertain. I guess from our perspective, given we invest in small small industrial companies, um, you know, we, we have a number of options. We can, we can either sell and go to cash. Um, we can... Um, look to, I guess, to get out of certain uh, sectors that are being impacted in the current inflationary environment, such as technology and, and so forth. And we can also hold our nerve um, and invest in companies that fit our investment process that are trading on a very strong valuation and have catalysts. And we've chosen the latter. Um, you know, it has been a very tough time over the last three months, um, but we see tremendous value in the small cap space at the moment. And um, as I said earlier, once things um, die down and, you know, we see some certainty, we do, we do see um, it coming back to our space and we'll see, um, you know, quite a strong uplift in the small cap companies uh, that, that we invest in. Now, not ruling out going to um, put, um, putting more cash into the portfolio, but this stage at 19% cash, we're, we're very happy. Thanks, Oscar. Tobias, we'll turn to you now. This one's from Bill and he's asked what your view is on technology stocks moving forward. Yeah, th thanks, Bill. Look, our views uh, on tech hasn't changed. Yeah, I think, in fact, we've become even more selective in terms of the companies we're, we're looking at. I think, you know, we can no longer rely on investing in some of these tech companies because we think there's a valuation multiple expansion opportunity or investing in some of these companies because it's a theme of the month. Um, none of those catalysts would work in the current market. You know, we're staying further away um, uh, from the cash burning businesses. You know, our view on... Um, on the space is that the investable universe for in, in terms of tech companies has definitely shrunk for us. However, there are still um, tech companies that's trading on industrial multiples with strong, often net cash balance sheets that's, you know, has a earnings, like say often 15 to 25 times PE um, that we're select selectively investing in. Um, so that's sort of our wheelhouse at the moment, but it's definitely um, a, a very uncertain period for, you know, technology companies. Thanks, Tobias. Just sticking with you, Anthony's asked what your view is on retail players at the moment. Yeah, so um, taking a step back, I think at the last webinar, we talked about our bullishness on the retail sector. You know, our simple thesis was the fact that, you know, with COVID restrictions um, coming off and with people going back into malls, brick and mortar retailers that were impacted during the COVID period would benefit the most. You know, what's What's happened since, um, you know, inflate, cost inflation has gone up. There's been a lot of supply chain disruptions. And obviously, the most recent macroeconomic uncertainty, um, you know, in terms of our view, we have reduced our retail exposure, you know, but however, we are still invested in some of the highest quality names like Accent and LaVisa. You know, we think these companies are the best place to navigate the macro uncertainty. And so, you know, if the tide does shift, these companies, uh, the share price should come back quicker than many of its peers. So we are still invested, but we have uh, reduced our exposure. I think as, as well, yeah, retail's been a sector over the last two years has done very, very well. And, you know, we dif differentiate, you know, those companies who have been COVID beneficiaries, you know, might, where it might be in, say, furniture retailing or some of the e-commerce names that we, we did own a couple of years ago, like a Temple and Webster and, and so forth or a Kogan. Um, to those companies that have been impacted by COVID. So, you know, giving an example, like Accent, you know, um, is a retailer of, of footwear and sports shoes and so forth. It's, you know, it's leveraged to people going out and about. So um, that was, a you know, one of the calls that we made sort of September, October. Um, Omricon hit probably wasn't ideal for us, but we're still, we're, you know, we're, we still like the business and we think the business will come out stronger um, in the next, in the near term and also over the medium term. 
Great. Thanks, Tobias. Thanks, Oscar. Sam, we'll go to you now. We've got a few questions on the recent reporting season. Can you provide an overview of companies that announced um, better than expected results and just take us through the sectors that you're also impressed by? Yeah, definitely. So um, one sector that definitely stood out for us during reporting season was the agricultural sector. You saw positive results out of the likes of New Farm and Graycorp, well understood and appreciated stocks in the market, and the, the market supported those quite well. We're playing the ag sector through three key positions, Ridley, um, Select Harvest, and also DGL Group. Now, Ridley we've already spoke to. Um, Select Harvest, uh, to start there, the current share price, it's trading around sort of asset backing or the NTA. And we believe the catalyst to see a re-rate from, from here is really an improvement in the almond price driven by a normalisation in supply chains. And for DGL Group, they have a large exposure to the, to the ag sector. And um, if you look at its larger peer, CleanAway, it's trading on a similar enterprise valuation multiple. However, we believe that actually DGL has a better organic and inorganic growth outlook. So um, when you compare the two, we think DGL has the opportunity for re-rating versus CleanAway, and, um, and it's really acquisitions that will drive that re-rate. So that's the sector that stood out for us. Thanks, Sam. Oscar, Thomas has asked if you can speak to some of the notable detractors from the... No, but like, we actually, as I said earlier, that we only had eight misses um, in the February reporting season and we always have you know, what we call it a blow-up uh, as such. And um, I guess two of them were um, City Chic, which is a stock we've owned for a very, very long time, uh, and also uh, 360, which was, you know, ironically, was the only tech stock that we owned in the portfolio. Um, you know, both of these two stocks we actually quite like. And I think you know, the sell-off that we've seen in both of them is probably more of a reflection of the current environment in, um, n- not necessarily the companies and, and, their, and their performance. Um, you know, in, in, interestingly, 360 actually upgraded uh, earnings or, or their revenue expectations and City Chic actually came in above earnings expectations but um, has spent more on inventory, which has gotten the market worried. Um, given the current environment, so yeah, as I said before, we both two two companies did hurt us, um, but um, actually still positive on, on the outlook. But yeah, as as I said earlier, yeah, we had a strong reporting season in terms of calling earnings upgrades, but it's fair to say that the share prices didn't respond. Thanks, Oscar. Sam Annette has asked: Are you still positive on travel companies now that borders are open? And are you concerned of new threats of coronavirus variants, even though most of Australia are vaccinated now? Thanks, Annette. Great question. Travel is always a topical sector in the market. Um, we are positive on the outlook for travel companies. Whilst the risk of new variants is, is, is always there, omnipresent, it's one of those things that we're, we're investing in travel companies that we expect will exit the pandemic in a better state than they actually entered the pandemic. And um, we're playing the sector through two, two key positions, corporate travel and Webjet and largely avoiding the sort of the retail store-based heavy network um, travel companies like Flight Sarah and Hello World. Mm-hmm. If you look at corporate travel, um, they didn't waste the crisis through acquisitions and organic um, new client wins. They drove, they are looking to drive revenue and earnings 75% higher post-pandemic than they will have achieved pre-pandemic. And that's despite the market cap only being 30% higher. Similarly with Webjet, um, the structure of their business model has meant that they've actually won share from competitors during this period. Total transaction value on our numbers is up 50 to 100% in a post-pandemic world versus pre-pandemic, and the market cap's only 5 to 10% higher. So we see a normalisation or a resumption of normal trading conditions and further acquisitions for these two businesses is driving a re-rate from here. I think just just on travel, and you know, Sam's right. It was actually, travel was probably the shiny light of reporting season, really, and it was you know a very good sector for us. I think you know it's been caught in, in the sell sell off in the in the past few weeks. We haven't sold um, shares in any of the companies. And what was interesting is yesterday, Alan Joyce from Qantas came out and actually said that demand for Sydney to London flights, uh, uh, despite what's happened, are still above pre-COVID levels um, in Booking dot com um, overseas. Um, they've said that I think bookings in Europe are down 10%, but if you drill down, that's all Eastern Europe related. Yeah. Western Europe is actually up 10% on pre-COVID levels. So the demand is there. And, um, you know, our view is is that, you know, if the consumer has a choice between, you know, going on a holiday overseas right now 
and you know potentially buying a couch or you know spending a lot of money on retail they're going to choose a holiday so we're, we're st- sticking with our travel names within the portfolio and you know sam's mentioned corporate travel and webjet uh, Kelsian is another stock that we own. Um, you know, it's on travel per se, but it's also um, exposed to the same factors as IDP Education. It's one of the largest um, holdings in, in the research part of the portfolio. So it is a sector we still really like. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Oscar. Oscar, Peter's asked, what are your thoughts on Expansive? Yeah, Boss touched on this before. It's a pre-IPO holding and, you know, we were lucky enough to get an exposure to this company early last year in both WAM Microcap and WAM Capital, they have performed incredibly well. Um, and basically what this business is, is a, as Tobias said, it's, they've created the ASX to trade carbon credits, let's call it. And as we know, this space has gone ballistic over the last few years. And I think with Expansive, why we like it is the founders have actually been doing this for a very, very long time. They, they saw the opportunity ten, like over 10 years ago and it's, you know, they've put the building blocks in place and it's really taken off over the last, call it six months. So we've been, one of the privileges you get um, being a pre-IPO investor is you can see how these businesses can transform and this business has smashed its numbers over the last 12 months. And, you know, now they're looking at um, potentially IPOing in the next uh, few months, which would be fantastic. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're very positive on this company. It's done, it, it's done incredibly well and it's in a very, very positive um, sector. Thanks, Oscar. Tobias, over to you. George has said that Pexa Group posted strong results in the recent earnings season and he's asked, is WAM Active going to take advantage of the property sector? Uh, yep. So, yeah, Pexa had a very strong result. It's the dominant property settlement, a digital property settlement exchange uh, in Australia and it's making its foray into the UK uh, looking to disrupt the antiquated sort of method of settlements over there. Um, you know, we like, we really like the business. You know, we think they can continue to gain market share in Australia, but in the UK, the market is three times the size. And we think over a five-year period, potentially UK could be the same size from a revenue perspective as Australia. You know, the revenue comes from um, the volume that goes through with refi- uh, refinancings of home loans, as well as obviously property settlements. Um, we also have domain in the portfolio. So in terms of how we're looking to get exposed to the property space, you know, you know, we understand, you know, there's a risk with the price of properties going forward with, you know, inflation, uh, uh, interest rate expectations. So the way we're playing it is through volume. So obviously during periods of price volatility, volume should go up and these companies are, you know, the best placed in, in taking advantage of that. So, um, you know, volume is how we're going to play through the property sector. Thanks, Tobias. Oscar, Mark has said that recently WAM Microcap has been a substantial investor in Swoop Holdings. Can you explain the strategy here and the near-term catalyst for the stock, given its short-term underperformance for this stock and stocks like it? Yeah, no, no problems. Um, yeah, Swoop's been a tough one for us. Um, you know, typical company that we own, it upgraded earnings and I think the share price has fallen 30% since the result. Um, so they're doing everything right. Um yeah, look, this is a, a, a company that we participated in the IPO in back in, I think it was March, May, maybe la, uh, last year, did incredibly well. Um, and, like, just generally, it's in the tel- telecommunication space. It's, um, you know, there's... Fixed wireless, re- yeah, in, fi- in fixed wireless. It's got great guys on the board. James Spensley is one of them that we know very well. Um, ex-focus guys, um, you know, and light management. And the catalyst was a simple one. It was, it was a, it's a roll-up, and we saw earnings accretive acquisitions. But... I think to its detriment, it raised um, money back in October um, and it raised about $40 million, I think, off the top of my head for acquisitions. And what we've seen over this period is any company that raised money or any company that had an IPO in the last six months has been hurt really, really, has been hurt a lot. And this is a company, you know, raised money at $1.80. I think yesterday, I think it was 85 cent share price. So, but have they done anything wrong? No. Um, and they've actually outperformed all our expectations and beaten our numbers. So we're very happy with the position. Uh, it is a substantial holding, but we, as I said sort of early in the introduction, once we think all the dust settles here, that'll be a stock that should do very, very well. Thanks, Oscar. Sam, Rose has asked, what are your thoughts on electro option systems? Thanks, Rose. Yeah, we've um, we've had concerns for a while that the cash collection profile of EOS or electric optics systems hasn't been really up to our standards or up to what we were expecting. 
Uh, the recent results have actually alleviated some of those concerns there. However, we sort of we see downside risk to market expectations looking forward, given the um, you know pretty buoyant market expectations into FY23 and FY24, despite the order pipeline um, coming down in the most recent period as well. So, um, largely an avoid for us now, Rose. Thanks, Sam. Oscar, Ian has asked, will the high oil price send the world into an earlier than expected global recession? And how do you best position for this? Yeah, I hope not. Um, I guess, yeah, I mean, looking at history, I mean, I think there's seven times, um, I can't remember the period it was, but I think it might have been over about 50 years, but correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Seven times we've seen oil spike to the extent that it has. And unfortunately, six times we've seen recessions, um, you know, 12 months after that. So, Look, we don't think we're at that point yet. We are hoping that we see a resolution or a ceasefire in the in the in the coming weeks or months, um, and that there's a solution. Because what we're seeing at the moment is is just it's it's crazy with the number of these commodities, how much they've gone up in such a short space of time. So, look, we're we're, we're being patient, although we are cognizant of it, and you know that's reflected the fact we have increased our cash levels across both portfolios. Um, in terms of for how we can prepare for it. I think it's avoiding those companies that have direct oil leverage um, uh, within uh, within their business, such as packaging companies or you know, potentially airlines. Um, but you know, fair to say, if we have oil prices stay where they are um, for an extended period of time, that is that is negative for consumer facing facing companies. No no question. So the only thing I will say though, this time compared to last, is that we are coming out of Omicron. And there is a lot of savings, um, pent-up savings from the consumer, particularly in Australia. So we do think they'll be able to absorb a higher oil price for a period of time, maybe six to 12 months. But we would like need to see oil prices come off again. Um, so, look, at the moment we're staying patient, um, we, you know, and, and not panicking, um, and uh, we're happy with how we, how we are positioned across the portfolios. Thanks, Oscar. Staying with you, Alice has asked, when will the next correction be? Is it time to buy some bargain shares or is now still too high to buy? Um, look, um, I think with small cap industrials, we think we've already had a correction. Um, it's been a 20, like, you know, I quoted, what was it, 17% since mid-September. Um, you know, looking at the markets done in March, you know, it's, it's, it's 20% now. So, look, uh, we think... There is definitely bargains. I mean, I'll give you an example. Like uh, in, in our market cap portfolio, we own a big position in people infrastructure. It's a labour hire business. They just upgraded earnings. Um, very strong balance sheet. They're going to acquire. I think it's growing at over, what, 20% at yep. least this year and next. Yep. It's on a price earnings multiple of seven. Um, we own Dusk in where microcap. Its dividend yield is higher than the price earnings multiple ratio. It's trading on its net, net cash. So we are seeing silliness in the market we're seeing opportunities for bargains um can they go lower these these companies yes they can because it's a very uncertain environment but if you're taking a medium-term view our medium to long-term view we think it's very very attractive at the moment that's the point i was trying to get across earlier is it it, it, it stripping out the technology companies looking at sectors such as retail travel building materials construction mining services put them all together they're trading on the cheapest valuation that we've seen in a decade. So there is definite value, um, but you need this, the, the Russian-Ukraine um, conflict and just, just to settle. And, um, and also everyone's concerned around inflation to settle. And we think um, demand will come back to small cap companies and into those sectors. So the answer, long answer, the answer is yes, but you've got to be patient. Thanks, Oscar. A uh, question from a shareholder, Paul. He says, I bought Wham, Wax and War, all with excellent returns being paid. He bought Wham on the 19th of, 19th of September 2018 when the share price was 248 However, it's now around 216 Do you think there is likely to be a bounce back in the share price in the future? Look, I, I, can't, I can't give you advice in terms of how I think um, Wham, the Wham Capital share, well, anything really, but in, to, in relation to Wham Capital and the share price, I think investors need to understand that we are that the, the fund is trading at a, at a significant premium to its net tangible assets. Um, you know, when you first bought, um, was it a, a couple of years ago? Sorry, I missed the date. Might have been trading at a 25% uh, premium to its net <coughs> tangible assets, and today it's trading at maybe a 16, 17% premium. 
you know, as Jeff was always will always say, and you know, you can have a look at some of the actions War has done, um, you know, over the last twelve months. Is he likes buying a dollar of assets for eighty cents? Now, clearly, Wham Capital isn't buying a dollar of assets for eighty cents. It's you know, pa- paying a premium to a dollar of assets. So, I guess, look, we'd all love the share price to to, to go higher as sh- as as shareholders uh, with Wham Capital, but we can't control the premium or even the discount to to the net tangible assets. So. I think that's just one thing investors need to be mindful of um, when, when they're looking to, to buy shares in WAM Capital. Thanks, Oscar. Sam, this one's from Joseph. He says, based on the volatile market at the moment, some of the good companies are selling below their intrinsic value. Do you think it's a good time to pick some of them up for long-term holding? I think this is a great question and it um, goes to what Oscar was speaking about a little bit earlier. <clears throat> I think it really depends on your investment time horizon. Um, when you see uncertainty like we've seen with high commodity prices, the, um, the conflict in Ukraine and Russia, inflation and interest rate expectations going higher, then typically investment time horizons from the market perspective compress. So people start stop thinking about five or ten years from now. They start thinking about what next year or the year after does. Really, that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity for people who are willing to look a little bit longer and obviously who can afford to to think a little bit longer as well. So I think the answer depends on on the investor's time horizon. Thanks, Sam. Oscar, over to you. This is also from Joseph. He says, will you consider to to think about issuing any options, rights issues or a share purchase plan for your stable of WAM? Um, no, the answer to that is you never say never, but um, at this stage, no, no, there won't be. Thanks, Oscar. And sticking with you, you touched on this earlier, but a question from Grace. LaVisa did well this earnings season. Can you share any more thoughts on the stock? Yeah, it was, it was probably, um, I think it was our best result of the reporting season. We had, um, you know, the two clangers um, or the two blowups we had was City Sheik and 360, but they were well off, more more than offset by LaVisa and also the takeover we were lucky to get in Simic. Um, but LaVisa, yeah, I mean, it was a high, very, very high quality result, beat earnings expectations by, you know, over 20%. Um, this is a discount, a jewellery uh, retailer with significant offshore plans and saw rolled out opportunities in Europe and the United States. Um, but again, you know, we, I think it went well over $20 uh, a share after the upgrade. And I think if you look at it now, it might be $18, I think, maybe. Um, um, so, yeah, look, we've, we're still very, very positive on the company. It's got a tremendous outlook for growth. And, um, yeah, we think it's a high-quality company, so we've been adding to our position. Great. Thanks, Oscar. Tobias, this one is from Bernadette. She says, are you still positive on Estia Health? Do you still think it has potential in 2022 despite the volatility? Uh, definitely. Um, SDA is one of our largest positions. You know, we rate the board and the management team highly. Um, it's an aged care um, operator. And, you know, over the last two years, they have been impacted by COVID. Coming out of COVID, you know, we think they've managed that, you know, the last two years really well. Um, you know, we think they'll benefit from, I guess, the normalization of the operating environment. Um, and we also think that the government funding package um, that we should get clarity on over the next few months should be positive for the sector and particularly efficient operators like Estia. If you look at some of the recent transactions, um, both in the listed and unlisted space, and price those transaction multiples on Estia, potentially the upside is quite large. Um, I guess the most recent one, Aility, got bought for, I think, $180,000 per bed. If you apply $180,000 per bed onto Estia, you know, the upside is potentially you know, up to 60 to 80% versus the current share price. So we're there for the long term, and you know, we really like the business still. Thanks, Tobias. Sam, this one is from Bob. He says, what are your thoughts on structural monitoring systems? After the announcement of the breakthrough FAA certification, is there anything more that is required before where Microcap becomes a shareholder? I think that's a great question. Um, I looked at structural monitoring systems and obviously the FAA's recent approval is, is a massive tick or massive validation of the technology that they've got. Um, look, at the moment it comes down to execution in terms of executing the commercialization um, post that approval. And I think when you look at the share price and what it's done this month, the stock's up 100%. And so I think to a $120 million market cap, I think they did 18 or $15 million in revenue over the last two years before COVID. So I think there are expectations building already 
within the share price that they'll be able to execute accordingly. So at this stage, we're probably looking for a better entry price. And Bob, I, you know, we haven't caught up in person for a long time. You've been telling me about structural monitoring systems for a long time. I'm sorry. We should have invested in it. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Oscar. Tobias, this one is from Roger. He says that why microcap was progressing well, but he thinks it's gone into a lull period. Can you explain this, please? Yeah, look, th thanks for the question. I guess, um, you know, as investors, um, well, where microcap, you know, all we can control is effectively, you know, performance of the fund. You know, we think we've done a really good job with where microcap um, outperforming around, I think, 8% thus far, even with, I guess, the resource uh, headwind that we see um, in the index versus the small odds. Um, so that's what we can control. And we're laser focused on actually, obviously, continuing to pick stocks that will deliver for us over the short term. Um, in terms of the share price movement, it, it's, it's, you know, very hard for us to to give a view there you know you know our, our you know our view is that if we can continue to perform um in terms of the investment performance you know the share price will look after itself i think just similar wham capital wham micro cap when it was you know share price was well over to sort of two dollars you know we're looking at a, a premium you know close to 50, you know between 15 to 20 percent and when you see uncertainty like we've seen in the last few months i mean micro cap companies are incredibly risky um, so all that we've seen with the share price is the premium's gone from say 15 to 20 percent to five to 10 percent. So in terms of what we're the, the portfolios, as Mark, as um, Tobias said, you know at the end of February we were outperforming just over eight percent. So we're extremely happy with that outcome in this environment. Um, yeah, because we don't really we don't have many resources stocks there. So stock picking's being excellent. Um, so yeah, again we're very happy with the performance in, in, in microcap. Great, thanks. Oscar, we've had a few similar questions um, on this. So this is from David and Thomas. What are you doing to drive some real growth in WAM Capital? How sustainable is the WAM Capital dividend going forward with the volatility that's in the markets, including increasing inflation and possibly reduced growth? Yeah, look, this is a, a very good question. You know, certainly, you know, Jeff will, might have talked about this last week. I mean, with WAM, WAM, WAM Capital, um, you need to look at where our profit reserve is now. The end of January, I think our last reported update, we're at 19.3 cents a share. So we're paying out 7.75 cents again in April. Um, that leaves us, say, 11.3 cents, means we can pay another 7.75, um, well, hopefully pay another 7.75, I should say, uh, in October, November, and then we're, we're left with, call it, you know, four, uh, three and a bit cents uh, for the dividend this time next year. Now, we can pay the way we pay dividends is by generating unrealized uh, or realized gains through the portfolio. So we're going through a very you know, difficult time for um, small cap companies, as we were saying, this financial year. Um, but the clock finishes at 30th June and then starts again on the 1st of July into the FY23 financial year. So it will be important for us to generate profits or see the market go up, I guess you could say, um, from the 1st of July. Um, and for us, to, you say we're in line with the market and the market's up, we're making profits, we'll be able to generate profit for the, for the profit reserve to pay those, that dividend uh, this time next year. So keep an eye on the profit reserve for WAM Capital, definitely, um, because in terms of all the listed investment companies, you know, WAM Capital is the tightest, has the tightest uh, profit reserve uh, to be able to keep maintaining those, those high dividends that you're receiving for an extended period of time. Thanks, Oscar. Sam, Ian has asked, is stock selection performed on an individual company basis, bottom-up analysis, or are themes identified, such as electric vehicles, used to guide the selection of stocks? Thanks, Ian. It's definitely bottom-up. Um, but I would um, – obviously, macro trends definitely help drive bottom-up performance of certain companies, and obviously we've benefited from that in e-commerce companies immediately post-COVID and also – um, building materials companies at the same time late last year. So, you know, macro drives the bottom up and we look at both. Thanks, Sam. Oscar, this one is for you from Dennis. He asks, why has a special dividend been issued for the last three years for where micro cap? Why this lick and not any of the others? And when would we be likely to know if there was another special dividend to be received this year? Yeah, thanks, Dennis, um, for the question. I mean, yeah, we've been very proud of the performance of uh, where microcap went since we the um, the list investment company IPO'd in June 2017, and you know we've been able to. I think this there was the fourth year in a row we paid a special dividend um, 
you know, back in, back in November last year. Um, so when we, when we raised the money and where microcap, you know, back, back then, we made the point that we wanted to keep the, the, the company small. And that's a reflection of the fact the companies we're investing in, they're less than $300 million in terms of their market capitalization. They're small. They're also, they're illiquid. Um, so we wanted to keep the, the, the fund small. Um, and um, yeah, and I think that's, that's why we've been paying special dividends to reward shareholders for their loyalty. Um, that obviously reduces the size of the fund. And so as we're sitting at today, um, the fund is around sort of $340, $350 million in size. And that's the, the, the appropriate size that we see for the, for the companies that we're investing in. Um, when will you know if we're going to pay a special dividend? Um, that's a decision for the board um, in July. Um, you know, I can't comment on, I guess, the, the ability for us to, uh, to pay a dividend uh, or whether we're going to, to make a special dividend. All I can say is that we have a very healthy profit reserve uh, with WAM Microcap, which I think is off the top of my head just over five years. Correct me if I'm wrong, anyone. Um, uh, just don't have the numbers on me uh, per se. But um, So we do have the ability. But a lot of that is dependent on the current state of the market. Uh, I think one of the things you know, we've learned over the 20-odd 20, 20 years um, that we've run money for you is the last thing we want to do is cut a dividend or not being able to pay a dividend. So, you know, that's certainly something we'll take into account uh, with where microcap. Thanks, Oscar. Tobias, this one is from Jan. She's asked, what is WAM's exposure to Russia and China? And if there is any, how quickly can it be extracted? Yeah, so we have zero direct exposure to Russia and China. Um, in, in terms of uh, indirect exposures, um, it's very minor. So, for example, some of the travel names Sam's talked about earlier that, you know, obviously could be impacted by what's happening there in Europe. Thanks, Tobias. Oscar, this is from Mo. He says, I'm writing to ask you about a takeover offer for CIMIC. I think you mentioned this earlier. As CIMIC is a big holding of WAM Active, do you think it represents a fair value or does it undervalue the company? Good question. Um, in this market, getting a takeover, which I think at the time was 35% for $22, it was hard to, from our perspective to resist. Um, Simic is a difficult one. I mean, if, if Hockteeth didn't own um, over 70% of the shares on issue um, and it was uh, just another company buying Simic, you would probably argue that it probably did undervalue Simic. Um, however, given it's its largest shareholder and there's unlikely to be a competing bidder because Hock Teeth owns so much, basically the price is $22. So, um, look, we sold into into that takeover bid um, yeah, and, and took our profit from that investment. Thanks, Oscar. Tobias, this is from Lester. He says, with small caps and tech stocks, there must be a re-entry point. What catalyst do you see for a return to sustained growth? Yeah, thanks, Les. That's a great question, um, one we ask ourselves uh, every day. So I think with the tech companies, we have two baskets. One is the profitable companies that's on, you know, I guess, industrial multiples. So, you know, PE multiples and the other basket, um, you know, these are the um, previously companies that's done exceptionally well from a growth perspective, uh, massively cash burning. Um, and, and, and the market for that is just not there right now. I guess the catalyst for that basket to rebound is we have to watch closely, the, I guess, the interest rate expectations um, and what that does for, I guess, growth in general. Um, in terms of re-entry points, you know, companies we're looking at are in the in the former basket where they're profitable, have strong balance sheet. Um, so, for example, Data3 Data three is an example where, you know, it's a high prof uh, profitable business, um, net cash balance sheet and, you know, uh, you know with potentially 10 to 20% top line growth over the next few years per annum. So that's the space we're currently focused on. Um, and, you know, I think that's that's a space that we think we can get the best return for our shareholders. I think, you know, one thing we've learned over this period, you know, from COVID in particular is, you know, it's very dangerous to rule out a sector in its entirety. I mean, look at look at the oil, oil, oil sector right now. I mean, 12 months ago it was hated. Now all of a sudden, you know, oil's at $150 a barrel, whatever the number is. So, look, one of the good things about uh, Wilson Asset Management is we see a lot of companies, we, we are sector agnostic, we will see sec companies across any sector. Yes, we're underweight in the technology sector right now, but we'll keep seeing those companies. We know the companies to buy if things go the other way. And as I said earlier, I mean, if if we see the, you know, inflation, uh, sorry, inflation expectations come off or interest rate expectation, ex hikes come down, you know, tech will be back in vogue again. 
Um, so we need to keep our options open. And, you know, certainly, you know, we're not ruling out this sector altogether because a lot of these companies, you know, have a significant revenue uh, growth <clears throat> profile. Um, and, yeah, so, we're, so we're, we're keeping an eye on a lot of companies because it can change. Thanks, Faz. Thanks, Oscar. Oscar, this one's for you. It's from George. He asked, does it make sense to combine WAM Active and WAM Research into WAM, seeing as WAM is actually a blend of both of those licks already? Look, thanks for the, thanks for the, uh, for, for the question. Um, look, it's a good question. It's certainly one as a management team we do talk about a lot. Um, there is the, the, the difficulty with doing that is that WAM Research does have a, quite a large profit reserve relative to WAM Active and also WAM Capital. So you would sort of be disadvantaging those WAM research um, investors if you, you were to do that. Um, you know, it potentially would be a simpler structure. There's no doubt about it. But look, at this at this juncture, uh, we're happy to keep the funds as they are. Thanks, Oscar. Tobias, another question from George. He asks, have you increased your cash holdings in the last month given the uncertainties relating to the impact of inflation, including those potentially associated with the Russian invasion of Ukraine? Uh, yes, we have. I think Oscar's touched on that earlier. We have um, progressively increased our cash over the last period. Sam, over to you. This is from Steve, and he's asked, do you re invest in resources? If not, why don't you? Good question, Steve. We do invest in resources, and we, and we can, and we have that flexibility. Um, at the moment, we've got a couple of resources companies in the, in the portfolio, uh, the likes of Mincor, Champion Iron, Paladin, Karoon, and, and 29 Metals. Obviously, the total weight and aggregate, you know, pales in comparison to BHP and Rio that are a part of the, the All Ordinaries Index. But we apply the same sort of stock picking and process to these companies as we do to the industrials. Have to be undervalued growth resource companies with the catalyst to realise that value. And that's a good point, Sam. And I mean, yeah, if you look at the 23 years of history of WAM Capital, you know, resources has always been a small component of the fund. And, yes, resources are doing very, very well at the moment. Um, you know, the frustrating thing for us is normally mining services has been a, a little bit of a hedge for, for, for resources, but it's, you know, it couldn't have been more of a worse hedge in the last two years given the border closures that we've had. Um, so, look, we're not changing our process. Um, we are, we're sticking with industrials. That's where we've, we view our expertise. And our view is, is that, as I said earlier, when, the, when things shift, and we will see things shift at some point, when it comes back to small industrials, we'll have the best portfolio for the small cap industrials index and we'll do very well. And that's what we're sticking to our knitting. Great. Oscar, Lester has just followed up on the cash question. He says you mentioned ARB, CCP, OML and ALG um, and the cash has increased. Since February 1, what other positions have you reduced? Just... Yeah, so those those stocks that were mentioned, we haven't reduced. In fact, we've been buying. Um, look, I'd say I'll give you some broad sectors. Um, but we had a small, very, very small exposure to technology. Um, yeah, that has been reduced. Um, consumer discretionary has been reduced, and particularly sort of as we see with oil prices right now. And when I'm talking consumer discretionary, I'm talking largely retail. Um, you know, we had some wins over the reporting season and we, you know, took, took the opportunity as well to, to reduce, to, to take some profit and to reduce our exposure. But if you had a look at the portfolio, you know, compared to what it is today versus the start of February, it's not really that different. I think it's just, you know, we, we, reporting season February is such an important time for us and we want to have the, the biggest weights in the portfolio that we can to benefit from it. We would have in a normal environment, um, however, yeah, the reporting season we just saw was not normal. It was anything but. So, um, look, all I think we've done is we've dialed up our weights for most sectors into reporting season. And then as, it's, as you know, companies have reported, we've taken that opportunity when the liquidity is there to reduce those weights. So that's why we've gone from, say, call it 11, 11 or 12% cash, um, you know, in the middle of February to in WAM Capital to around sort of 18, 19 at the moment. And as I said earlier, we're very happy with those levels. Thanks, Oscar. Tobias, this is for you from Sally. She says she keeps hearing about the semiconductor shortage. Is this a space that you see as an investment opportunity? Thanks for the question, Sally. I guess from a, a semiconductor shortage um, issue perspective, we're looking at it more from a supply side in terms of um, semiconductors being a, um, a component of some of the companies we've invested in. It's something we're focused on more from a risk control perspective 
uh, but not so much from an opportunity perspective. Thanks. Oscar, this is another question from Ian. He's, he asked if you think the flood damage will lead to further sales strength for Nick Scarly. Yeah, it's interesting when I just talked about um, when I said go on a holiday versus buy a couch or something. As I was saying, it, I was like, oh, hang on, we just had all these floods in New South Wales and Queensland. But the, the answer is, yeah, probably. Um, I think the thing is with those 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 companies that like Nick Scarly is a great example of this. They have had extraordinary levels of sales um, over the last two years. Temple and Webster also another beneficiary, no doubt. And where we've come to in the market is, yes, they might get a bump from this, no doubt about it, but the market will generally look through it um, because it's viewing their level of sales that they've done over the last two years as the peak level of sales. And so, yes, you might get a little bump, definitely, um, but I think the market will look through it. And that's why in the retail sector, we, we're focusing on those retails that have been impacted the heaviest through COVID. So, you know, we haven't even talked about Mike, but Mike, great example. They've been smashed through COVID. There's no one in the city um, going to their large stores. You know, shopping centres you know, have been empty for a period of time, but now we're seeing people come in, foot traffic and so forth. That's that's the style of retail. I mean, you know, that's the style of retail that, you know, we, we're looking to invest in. So Nick Scarly, great business, great management team, but I just feel like, you know, they've had a massive bump from, from COVID. So they're the ones we're avoiding. Thanks, Oscar. Just sticking with you, we've got another question from Gail. She says, you say that you're avoiding packaging companies because of oil prices. However, are they not defensive due to the link to consumer staples? We thought so, Gail. Um, you know, one of the stocks that we did slip up on was packed. Um, you know, we talked about that probably a year ago and everything was going right. Um, but, yeah, the input costs in these businesses, I think we underestimated. And in particular, you know, the oil prices significant input into resin um you know they do have the ability to pass on um you know costs through to their end, end customers but in some situations they can't and they have to wear it so yeah unfortunately um you know the two companies packed and pro pack we you know we own packed and wham capital we own pro pack and wham microcap yeah they've really struggled um you know through this period so you know that's an example of you know when we're talking about you know oil price and what we can do with the portfolio is you know, doing the work around those sectors and trying to understand which ones will be impacted the most. And unfortunately, that's a that's a that's a that's a that's a that's a tough sector right now. And you know, which because it's frustrating because it should be a defensive sector. And you're right. Um, so yeah, we're avoiding the packaging sector right now. Thanks, Oscar. This next question from Colin is for the whole team. He's asked, "Are you all shareholders in Wham Capital, Wham Microcap, Wham Active, and Wham Research?" Absolutely. Yep. Yes. <laughs> yep. It's our second biggest uh, investment after our house, I think. Yeah, yep. <laughs> definitely. Fantastic. This one is for you, Oscar. It's from Macca. He said, why do you think interest rates will increase so strongly? We're coming off a very low base. Um, there's no doubt about that. And as I said earlier, like, uh, you know, inflation, everyone's underestimated how tough the inflationary environment has been. I think, you know, start off with supply chains and, yeah, I think because we were coming out of Omicron and we would have said the same thing, you know, we're pretty confident that, you know, once we went back to normal, some of that supply chain inflation would reduce. But the commodity prices that we've seen of late is just, it, it is it is large. Oil price going to 150, whatever it is today, I don't even know, but it's high. <laughs> like it's, 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 it's a big input. So, look, interest rates do have to rise. They will rise. Um, the question is how much. Now, we're making a bet that, um, we think that consensus expectations to interest rate rises, you know, will come down a little bit. And I guess, you know, the interesting thing is, and, you know, you go back in history, um, and we've done this a lot over the last few weeks, you know, in periods like this when we see an interest rate hiking cycle, it actually has been a good thing for the market uh, because earnings growth has come through as <laughs> a reflection of economic growth and the health of companies. And, you know, the only difference this time, I would say, is that we've got the Russia and Ukraine conflict. Um, so that's what I'm saying. You know, our view is we get some sort of stability there. We really do think the market will come back to our space. And you go through our companies like we like we are leveraged to the consumer. We are leveraged to a reopening of the of of, of the economy really um, post Omicron. So look, long answer again. I seem to be doing that a lot at the moment. <laughs> but um, look, interest. That's why we think interest rates will rise. Thanks, Oscar. Sam, we'll go to you now. This question is from Perry, who's asked, what is your current view on sovereign cloud holdings? 
is there a catalyst that you've based your investment on? Yeah, definitely. We're, we're positive on the outlook for Sovereign Cloud Holdings. Um, we think that obviously um, NextDC and, and Craig Schroeder taking a stake in the business recently is a validation of their tech and their offering for their clients. And it's just that extra tick that you get is being an external minority shareholder in that, in that um, company. Obviously, the catalyst for us is seeing a continued acceleration in sales growth. Um, they're coming off a low base, but at the same time, we see a lot of opportunity for them in Canberra um, with government contracts. Thanks, Sam. Tobias, this one is for you. It's from Ian. He said, as a microcap stock, has the biotech Avita come onto your radar? Thanks, Ian. Look, we typically we haven't historically invested in uh, biotech companies due to the lack of domain expertise. Um, a lot of the biotech stuff, you know, require pretty technical knowledge. Um, so, so Vita hasn't been one that we've uh, looked at looked at closely. Thanks, Tobias. Another question for you, Oscar, from Sally. In regards to the WAM profit reserve, she remembers that years ago WAM Active provided a return of capital. Is this something that would be considered if the WAM profit reserve was challenged? Uh, look, it's probably a better question for Jeff, but you know, potentially. Um, but look, we're we're a while off that um, at the at the moment, and you know, we do have we do have support with the profit reserve. As I said, we can pay the, you know, we, we've we've got about seventy five percent, let's call it, of of you know the full year dividend uh, for next financial year. So look, it is something we'd always consider if if things got to that point. But when you know, we're nowhere near that as yet. Thanks, Oscar. This one is from Steve. He's asked, is your benchmark the all odds? Why did you opt to invest in large cap stocks given you are sector agnostic and have the flexibility? So just, yeah, I mean, when our benchmark in WAM Capital is the All Ordinaries Index. Um, you know, the view we've always taken over the last 23 years is that on average small cap companies outperform large cap companies and that's where our focus has been. Um, but if you look at the two strategies, I mean, there's obviously the active and market-driven strategy, and there's the research-driven strategy. And effectively, we, we're happy to look at any company that has a catalyst that fits our investment process. I think it's just fair to say the vast majority of what we do look at is in the small cap space, given that's generally where we see the growth uh, come from. So, look, if you look at our portfolio right now, there is a handful of sort of top 100 companies uh, within there, but a, but a small exposure. It's, it's, it's largely um, small cap industrial companies. Thanks, Oscar. Another question from George for you. Iris Energy is on the NASDAQ. He says he thought your investment universe was limited to Australian and New Zealand stock exchanges. Is this correct? So in, in the prospectus for WAM Capital, it's very broad. Um, and so it can include other exchanges. Now, clearly, you know, we've always focused on Australia and to a limited extent New Zealand. I think what, what happened there was, was effectively when we invested in Iris and this is a you know, very small position at the end of uh, 2020, um, their intention was to list on the ASX. Now, unfortunately, at the time, which is frustrating, the ASX didn't want anything to do with Bitcoin. Uh, but then, so Iris was left with no option but to list on the NASDAQ. And then what ended up happening was Square bought Afterpay and Square's got a huge exposure to Bitcoin. So I think now I'm pretty sure that Bitcoin or Bitcoin miners are allowed on the ASX. So it was just an unfortunate circumstance. Uh, ideally, we'd prefer it on the ASX. Um, but, you know, the fact that they've been listed is a positive, particularly because they've, you know, it'd be very tough listing right now. Um, so, look, we've got it, it. It sits there in the NASDAQ, but there's nothing else across both portfolios that is listed on, a national, uh, on an exchange outside of Australia and New Zealand. Thanks, Oscar. This one is for you, Sam. Is Qantas buy a hold or a sell? I'm going to say buy. Obviously, it's not currently in the portfolio. We talked to corporate travel and Webjet, and our thesis there. We're positive on, on travel companies. Qantas can take cost out of the business. Why I'm saying it's buy is it's in the WAM leaders portfolio, and they've talked about that in their webinar. Um, everyone's worried about oil price, but we think they've efficiently hedged that profile, and so we think that the concerns there are overblown. Thanks. Thanks, Sam. Oscar, this one is for you. It's from Colin. He says, given that oil price has bolted, how do you see its medium and long-term prospect? What are the best oil stocks that WAM are favouring? Okay. Well, you know, short-term, who knows what happens. Medium-term, I think it'd be fair to say that we're, we're positive on, on oil. Um, certainly, if the leaders guys were here, they'd say the same thing. And that's largely due to a lack of investment over the last 
three or four years, you know, with COVID and just generally probably the, the ESG push has probably discouraged investment in, into oil and gas uh, projects globally. Um, so I think generally, and as we came out of Omricon as well, um, you know, there should be more driving and so forth. So I think demand for oil, you know, largely should have increased. Now, I don't think, again, anyone's predicted $150 oil and, you know, who knows what happens with uh, with Russia and, you know, banning exports and so forth. But, yeah, if, if we're sitting here today and oil was $100, I think we'd, we'd, be, we'd be all be saying we'd be positive on the medium to long-term outlook. How are we playing it? Um, we've got two companies. It's probably around 4% of the portfolio. We've got... Um, Beaver Energy, which is we've owned for a long, long time. Um, so these guys are Shell service stations. They'll actually get hit on the service station business um, with oil going up. We, you, we all know how expensive the Bowser is at the moment. Filling out petrol is ridiculous. Um, but they get hurt in periods where the oil price goes up. They sort of need a bit of sta- stabilisation here now. But on the reverse, their refining business, which is effective, we've talked about a long time, has been loss-making for a number of years. They're going to have a very, very big year. So we think that'll more than offset any, any sort of um, margin reduction they get in their service stations. The other company is Wally Parsons. Um, it's an oil services contractor, um, very global. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's, they've had a pretty tough environment, to be fair, last sort of 10 years. But earnings, we feel, are bottomed. And they're a big beneficiary of increased oil and gas capital expenditure. So they're, they're the two companies that we're playing it through. Thanks, Oscar. Sam, this one is for you. It's from Rick. He says, there's talk of stagflation. How is WAM Capital, WAM Microcap, and WAM Research positioning for this? Great question, Rick. Um, thanks for that. It seems like more and more people are speaking about the prospect of this, this happening. Obviously, you've got two dynamics. You've got rising interest rates and slowing economic growth for that to happen. Um, at this stage, we see that rising interest rates are, a, are an indicator of the health of the economy, in our view, and that's, how we're, that's our thesis, and that's how we're playing that within the portfolio. If we see changes where economic growth is slowing or underwhelming relative to our own expectations, then we know the right sectors to be to be reducing or, or to be managing in that situation. So it's um it's a watching brief. Thanks, Sam. Tobias, this one is from Charles, and it's for you. He asks, is zero a buy, hold, or a sell? <laughs> Just very uh, uh, a very good question. It's actually something we're working on right now. Um, so if we had this webinar in a week's time, I could give you an answer. But Zero is one of the highest quality uh, companies, tech companies on the on the ASX. Um, you know, actually just being actively actively working on, on Zero right now. Thanks, Tobias. We've got one last question today. It's for Oscar, and it's from Alan. Do you have a view on the AGL takeover by Brooks and Brookfield? Will you be buying into it? AGL's, yeah, it's a, it's a large cap company and hasn't. It's not a stock that we we know very well. Um, so yeah, probably can't make a comment on on it, unfortunately. Thanks, Oscar. And that's all our questions for today. So I'll pass back to you for any final words. Look, yeah, thank, thanks, Camilla. And look, once again, uh, thank you very much, everyone, for dialing in uh, this afternoon. Again, sorry about last week, um, but if you have any more questions, please um, send them through. Be happy to get on the phone and talk to you. And, you know, as per usual, thank you very much for your support.